During the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country, and at length found myself, as the shades of the evening drew on, within view of the melancholy house of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom pervaded my spirit. I say insufferable, for the feeling was unrelieved by any of that half-pleasurable because poetic sentiment with which the mind usually received even the sternest natural images of the desolate or terrible. I looked upon the scene before me, upon the mere house and the simple landscape features of the domain, upon the bleak walls, upon the vacant eye-like windows, upon a few rank sedges, and upon a few white trunks of decayed trees, with an utter depression of soul which I could compare to no earthly sensation more properly than to the after-dream of the reveler upon opium. The bitter lapse into everyday life, the hideous dropping off of the veil. There was an iciness, a sinking, a sickening of the heart, an unredeemed dreariness of thought which no goading of the imagination could torture into aught of the sublime. What was it, I paused to think, what was it that so unnerved me in the contemplation of the House of Usher? It was a mystery all insoluble, nor could I grapple with the shadowy fancies that crowded upon me as I pondered. I was forced to fall back upon the unsatisfactory conclusion that while beyond doubt there are combinations of very simple natural objects which have the power of thus affecting us, still the analysis of this power lies among considerations beyond our depth. It was possible, I reflected, that a mere different arrangement of the particulars of the scene, of the details of the picture, would be sufficient to modify or perhaps to annihilate its capacity for sorrowful impression. And acting upon this idea, I reined my horse to the precipitous brink of a black and lurid tarn that lay in unruffled luster by the dwelling and gazed down, but with a shudder even more thrilling than before upon the remodeled and inverted images of the gray sedge, and the ghastly tree stems, and the vacant, eye-like windows. Here we are officially recording uh, a podcast. A podcast. <laughs> and we're done. Thank you, everybody. The, 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 we, we're not going to get any better than that. Oh my gosh. Did we, when we, okay, so we covered Spirits of the Dead. We did. Oh wait, but first of all, first, I'm going to do something amazing. Oh. Hey everybody, I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's It's Del Toro Toro time. time. It's It's Del Del Toro Toro time. time. Yeah. (laughs) Because I just realized that we have not introduced this show for a few episodes. No, we haven't. I've been going back over our episodes and uploading them to the YouTube channel and... The last few, just we just never got around to it, which was fine because it meant I never had to actually introduce, like, put in the new theme music. But whatever, uh, here we are. So we watched *Spirits of the Dead* years ago. I remember watching it at your mom's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sat, we watched it, and it was three Edgar Allan Poe stories. We yep. talked a bit. We talked a bit about Poe. We talked a bit about Poe during another episode, Dad. And which one was that? The Raven. 
We also talked about Poe during the Raven. Mm-hmm. So we've covered Poe. We have. Uh huh. We covered the Raven. We covered William Wilson. Mm-hmm. We covered Merzinstergeist, Mer- Mer- <laughs> <laughs> whatever that story was called. And uh, uh, don't drive a race car into a, over a gulch oh, or a wire right. will cut your head the off. Devil, the devil one. The, the, devil the devil will take your head or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good story. Uh, that was a good story. That was a fun movie. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Uh, but now we are actually discussing... An oh. Edgar Allan Poe story proper. Proper Poe. Poe. Po. Go for it. Go. <laughs> you can't finish your joke. <laughs> you, There's you no set joke. It up. It's teed no up. Joke. It's on the little T-ball stand. It's a swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> the only kid to swing and a miss at T-ball. Um, <laughs> that's that's a lie. I I had friends who played T-ball when I was a kid. And uh, you'd be surprised at the number of misses there were on that old tee. You can, you all. It also counts as a miss if you hit the tee. So maybe, maybe we would have found out I needed glasses earlier if I had played tee ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a ver- variant on tee ball where the ball is actually connected to the tee with a tether, which makes it. It's like so the ball can only go so far. And I remember mm-hmm. when like the little kids would play that. Uh, I never played sports. I just enjoyed. I, I enjoyed them vicariously. Anyway. Edgar Allan Poe married a 13-year-old girl when he was 26. Edgar yep. Allan Poe. Died. When she died, he was sad. Mm-hmm. And it sort of colored the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Edgar and then Allan he died. Poe. And then he died. And that colored all of our lives. Yeah. Baltimore boy. Uh, the only... Re- People think of Edgar Allan Poe. I was just thinking of this. So the famous photo of Edgar Allan Poe. I'm looking at it right now. He looks like he's constructed out of mashed potatoes and somebody put a mustache on him. The the photo of Edgar Allan Poe, that was taken the year he died. <laughs> so, like, he was in a rough place. Yeah. And he was young. Like, Edgar Allan Poe, how old was he when he died? A 40. He was 40. <laughs> he looks like he could be my dad right now. <laughs> um, but there's another photo of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, the Edgar Allan Poe-do. Uh, or not a photo. There's like a uh, there's like a drawing of Edgar Allan Poe. I can't remember what it was. I saw it. Now I can't find it. In any case, that so that photo we have of him is not. It's kind of like the painting of William Shakespeare that we think, mm-hmm. oh, that's what William Shakespeare looked like. But like that picture of William Shakespeare was painted like after his death, and it was based on like a description of him. And this photo of Poe is taken at the year of his death. I just, I just want to, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just want to point out that he was not just this like dis, disheveled man. Yeah. He he had like a life and a career. His heart was broken when his child bride died. Um, and uh, he wrote a lot and was just sort of an unhappy, unsatisfied guy. But also apparently he like, I think he like, I think he got some like action. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't some recluse. I think in popular culture, Edgar Allan Poe was always portrayed as like a creepy recluse mm-hmm. or like, you know, just kind of like this sort of dark, disturbed individual. But he was like a businessman. He edited magazines. He wrote reviews of books and plays and stuff. Yeah. Like he was a guy. I don't know. I don't know why I'm sta- standing up for Edgar Allan Poe's legacy. He's famous enough. Edgar Allan Poe. Poe. Poe, oh. Edgar Allan Poe. I've every every time 
Uh-huh. You are not the only one who's done that to me this week. <laughs> Poe. Uh, there have been a lot of movies made about, like, what if Edgar Allan Poe was a, a, a detective and he solved crimes based on his, his stories? Like, there's been, like, more than one movie about that. Why? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I, I've been reading a book, uh, one of the many books that are like, what if Sherlock Holmes and the Cthulhu universe were, like, crossed over? And it's a well-written book, but it also just ends up being like, as soon as Cthulhu enters Sherlock Holmes, there's no more mysteries to solve. It's just Sherlock Holmes running around trying to stop, like, elder gods from entering our universe. And then it just becomes he's just an adventurer. As soon as Edgar Allan Poe becomes a detective, he just kind of stops being Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. <laughs> which is, he's just a, he's a writer. He's a writer guy. And we are discussing one of his stories. Which story? The Fall of the House of Usher. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is a gothic horror story. That it is. You know a thing or two about the gothic. That I do. How come? Because I took a gothic literature class. And also, <laughs> I just really, really love the gothic genre. What is it you like about the gothic genre? I don't know. I think it's just a lot of it is the um, the sort of uh, consistent symbology and like um, themes. Uh huh. I like the uh, the cliches of the gothic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like the houses. I like mm-hmm. I like that so much of the story is all about this like big winding house of horror. Yeah. Um, because I like when architecture reflects the characters. In, right in literature and in, in in other stories and stuff would you say that in this story the architecture reflects the character hmm, <laughs> hmm. well i'd have to think about it a little bit <laughs> it's the most like what i love about this story and i do i love the fall of the house of usher mm-hmm. um is it poe is able to somehow be the most blatant obvious writer in the world while also being the most dense and obscure writer mm-hmm. like he can the story is very like obvious but each sentence in this story contains like seven metaphors mm-hmm. a bunch of double entendres <laughs> some poetic like uh uh like like sort of metaphysical supernatural I mean, like I, there are sentences in this. It's a very short story. There are sentences in the story I had to read like three times just to be like, okay, what is he getting at here? Oh, <laughs> I see. He's couching this in all kinds of like terms because this is a short story, but it's about four times as long as it actually is because he's just packed it full of of hidden meanings. There's a dragon fight in this story. There's a dragon. There are two. Let's take a moment to read another story in this yeah. story. <laughs> uh, a, a whole ass poem that Poe had written before and published before and was like, well, nobody liked my poem. No one appreciated my poem. I'm going to put it in this story so more people can read my poem. And then a intentionally bad, like Arthurian, Arthurian romance mm-hmm. that is a hilarious like send up of that genre in the middle of a fairly somber uh, short story about death and maybe incest. I love this story. Yes. What is it you love specifically about this story? Um, I like the ending. Uh-huh. Uh, but I also, I like the, um, I like the fact that the narrator was Usher's like best 
friend when they were kids and didn't know he had a twin sister. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think it says a lot about our narrator's uh, 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 social life. Yeah. Um, and I liked I liked the, the part with all of the glowing smoke where the narrator's like, no, no, it's fine. It's not an uncommon phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, there is a whole, like, fan theory about this story that Poe, that the House of Usher was actually being poisoned by radon gas. Oh. Uh, which was a thing that happened. Like, mm-hmm. you dig too deep, you you encounter radium or whatever, and radon, or whatever creates radon gas, and it glows. There's like a glow, and it poisons people in houses. Like, Poe had no idea about that, because no one had discovered this yet, but I guess, like, houses with subterranean vaults and chambers, mm-hmm. that was a problem. Like, people would get poisoned. So, I mean, if it's generation after generation dying in this house, (laughs) maybe the house is the problem. (laughs) Uh, Do you mean the house or the house? Because guess what? House means two things in this story. (laughs) I I was explaining the story to, to Mitzi and I was like, so you see, it refers to the house of Usher, like the actual house, but also the house of usher like she's like i get it dad she's 11 and she like, she's like yeah i picked up on that um yeah because the story is about a literal house that falls down but also the end of the usher line yeah uh, and how the two are tied together uh in like inextricably tied bound up to each other this terrible house this terrible family mm-hmm. um and this poor narrator who may as well not even be there honestly <laughs> he does nothing in this story except except read mm-hmm. read a bad run. a bad story so yeah so what what uh, long and short what happens in this story it's it's fairly straightforward uh he goes to the house he's like wow dude you look terrible to usher yeah usher's roderick like, usher usher's like i'm pretty i'm pretty sure my sister's dying he's like oh, okay then his sister dies, dies in quotation marks. They bury her in the basement <laughs> because mm-hmm. Usher is like, I don't want her body taken for, what is it, experimentation or whatever? Yeah, he's afraid yeah. of grave robbers. Um, and so they bury her. Usher is freaking out and he's like, I think she might, we might have buried her alive. And then she pops up. He dies. The house collapses. The narrator gets out. The narrator gets out, yeah. Yeah, yeah the unnamed narrator. That's why we're not actually saying yep. his name. Uh, yeah, unnamed narrator. That's it. Like, that's basically the story. Um, but, of course, it's so much more than mm-hmm. than that. Uh, there are. The, 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 the fungus growing on the house might be alive. Uh, it is located on a tarn, which is a kind of like a, a, a lakey swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it's, it's kind of a moat that surrounds this house, uh, but it's a gross moat. Uh, there is a, there is a servant. We never find out what happens to the servant, uh, who, who like lets people in. Uh, Roderick uh, probably died, I'm going to imagine. Yeah. We, <laughs> Roderick Usher has hypersensitivity mm-hmm. to all, like his senses are so tuned up that like loud noises or like too tasty of foods. Just he can't stand anything. He can't stand the feel of like the, the clothes he wears. So he can. Really, I like... feel that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Roderick Usher's not doing well. 
No, I but when it, I have sensory overload, man, do I feel that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But his sister's doing worse. His sister is doing worse. Uh, she's confined to bed. Nobody knows what's wrong with her. They think uh, it's um, what do they think it is? Catalepsy. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a she real ha- thing? Yeah, catalepsy is when yeah. you just you go into like a. Uh, a, like, a, 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 like a cataleptic state. So you're like kind okay. of in a trance, kind of in a coma. Uh, Catalepsy just sounds like a made up word. Uh, it means that you turn into a cat. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So she has. Yeah. So she has catalepsy and no one no one really knows why. But mm-hmm. that doesn't matter because the Usher family might be cursed anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big points that our narrator makes is he's like, wow, after a after Roderick Usher contacted me, I kind of looked into this family, and their family tree is just a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> Which could mean any number of things. It could mean that, like, it just, any any branches die off, like, mm-hmm. really fast. But it could also mean that brother exactly. and sister are the only people who reproduce in this family line. So, Which like, is not great. <laughs> Not great because any sicknesses or genetic problems will simply get passed down from mm-hmm. generation to generation. So that could also be it. Again, Pone never comes out and says that, but it's speculated a lot that Roderick and his sister might have had a romantic relationship. Well, I'm glad we didn't watch a movie version of this because we <laughs> oh. all know I wouldn't have been able to deal. Have we watched a movie that's somewhat uh, inspired by a house that's falling down and a brother and sister who might have, or who definitely do have a uh, 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 un- unsavory relationship? Maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, I can't Crimson remember what Peak. that movie's called. What? Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Definitely inspired in part by this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as well as, you know, gothic stories in general. Yeah. Gothic stories were not, like, famous for shying away from, like, inappropriate no. relationships. Yeah. Um, uh, women hiding up in a <laughs> room in an old house. Mm-hmm. I do like what he says in the beginning. He's like, the house looks fine. He's like it doesn't it's it doesn't appear to be falling apart it except for this one crack yeah. that goes from the very top right down to the very bottom and right down the middle. Other than that, the house looks fine. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> if you you could not see Willow, she put her hands together and uh, popped them open Audrey two style. <laughs> As if the house, as if the house just sort of like collapsed one to either side, like, yeah. a, like a Kinder Egg, uh, full of horror. <laughs> if there's um, a giant crack in your house, maybe get that fixed. Right, right. Unless it is a crack house, and then that's supposed to be there. Unless you're Amy Pond. <laughs> right, right, and that's <laughs> going to be the basis for an entire season of television that will somewhat unsatisfactorily be resolved in the end <laughs> uh we call that a Stephen moffat plot so um he reads so after the sister dies and he kind of mentions roderick is like oh by the way my sister died last night yeah. and the narrator is like oh ooh. and we've only seen the sister like once she just mm-hmm. sort of wanders through the room which uh is interesting yeah she's she's in she's in a bad shape yeah uh hey at Roder- least she's not locked in the attic like a lot right. of heroines in gothic stories. <laughs> um, 
at one point uh, Roderick's like, "Oh, but I do like to I do like to sing a song every now and then." <laughs> and he picks up his guitar and he sings or he plays the he he recites the Haunted Palace, which is a mm-hmm. poem by Edgar Allan Poe from 1839. Uh Follow the House of Usher is also from 1839. Um and it is not a short poem. No. Uh and it is about a how like it is about a haunted house basically uh and it's so it sort of parallels what's going on in the story um just vaguely vaguely it more sets a mood and shows you inside uh roderick usher's head because mm-hmm. he also paints like creepy paintings that are of like catacombs below the house mm-hmm. so there is this element of the story of like is there something supernatural going on here? Because Usher also thinks that maybe the the lichens and the fungi are have a consciousness, like the house is actually an en- a living entity, uh, but but that it's an entity formed of the entity like the, the consciousness of the plants. Like it's really weird. I have a question. Why don't, Shoot. They, just, why don't they just move? <laughs> well, because they are, uh, I believe they they make me- mention the fact that they are what is called like what like the wealthy poor or something like oh. people who had a lot of money now they have no money but they still kind of live in a huge house with servants because they just don't have anything else or anywhere else to go and the I servants see. are the family servants so they're just sort of like hanging around mm-hmm. uh, but yeah like this family is I th- I believe they're destitute like they that have would no make sense yeah. And they're sick. Where are you going to go yeah. when you're sick? And you're trapped in this house. I believe that, like, if they moved, like, they would just die anyway. Like, there is, like, that weird but at connection. at least they wouldn't die in the house. <laughs> From the house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you seem to have died of house. <laughs> uh, which is what happens. So, you yeah. You seem so... to have died of gas that the house is exuding. <laughs> right. You have a bad case of gas. Uh, also, house falling on you. Also, you have a bad case of crushed to death. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I've diagnosed you with uh, crushed to death syndrome. <laughs> so, okay, so here's something interesting. Uh, Madeline dies, and he's like, I don't want, yeah, like you said, he, I don't want people digging her up to experiment on her, to study her. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to... We're going to shut her in the family tomb for a couple of weeks. That way, I assume that way, like the body will spoil and people won't want to dig her up anymore because it's like fresh corpses they want. Yeah. Uh, and so they they take her down. They seal her in the tomb. That's when he finally gets a look at them and is like, I think that these are twins. <laughs> um, but also, and here's the thing. He's like, huh, she still looks really healthy and her face is flushed and stuff. Interesting. Uh, but in the Wikipedia entry, it says the narrator also notes that Madeline's body has rosy cheeks, which sometimes happens after death. But which sometimes happens after death is actually a hyperlink. <laughs> and if you click on the hyperlink, it takes you to liver mortis, mm-hmm. uh, which is a second stage of death uh, causing red discoloration of the skin. Yeah. But on the page... Is just a photo of a dead body with liver mortis. <laughs> the face is covered up, but it's on the slab and it has liver mortis. Like it has the blood pooling. I was not expecting to see this when I clicked on it. 
there's a drawing of a dead body as well with liver mortis and i gotta say this guy is well equipped oh my god I don't know why they insisted on drawing the ding dong that big. <laughs> Someone was having a good time. So, yeah. So he's like, ah. okay, there's a difference between rosy cheeks and liver mortis, though. We can agree, right? <laughs> I think someone just wanted to link to liver mortis. <laughs> Which sometimes uh, happens after that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Rosy cheeks. Um, so, yeah. So then they just hang out together for a while, like for a week or so. And Roderick's becoming increasingly unhinged. One night, there's this massive thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. And Roderick's like, ooh, he's like going nuts. And the, the narrator's like, get away from the window. Stop looking outside. Here, to, to, to calm your nerves, I'll read the first book I grab, The Mad Tryst. <laughs> and this is a delightful passage because it's about like a knight or something. And there's like a dragon and there's a fight with the dragon. But every time something happens in the story, it's like, and then my shield fell to the ground with a clang. Then like somewhere in the house, you'll hear like a clang. Yeah. And the narrator will be like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> and he's like, and then I heard like a, a, a pounding at the walls. And then he's like, and then I heard an actual, what sounded like a pounding at the walls. <laughs> oh, well, goes on to read. And then the dragon screamed. And he's like, and wouldn't you know, I... I heard this, what sounded like a scream. And, (laughs) well, it's the sister digging her way, or not digging her way, but like bashing her way out of her own coffin. Yep. Uh, And what's funny, though, is when she shows up, Roderick is like, yeah, I've been hearing my sister screaming inside her grave for a week now. And we're like, why didn't you go get her? Right. Because he has those heightened senses, so he can Mm -hmm. hear these things. Yeah. Go get her then. <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't you say anything? Which, of course, in so in like most adaptations of this story, they make it very clear that he intended for her to be buried alive. Okay. Um, and, and like a lot of the adaptations of this will go out of their way to like sort of like retro, like fill you in on why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so she shows up and she's covered in blood because she just clawed her way out of a coffin. Yep. Roderick's like, my sister! And then he dies. Yeah. Um, and then the narrator runs out of the house, and the house splits down the middle. Do the do the thing again. <laughs> <laughs> it literally does, though. It splits in half, sinks she, into the tarn. She comes back, makes a lot of noise, and then falls down dead. <laughs> Don't forget that part. It's a big it's a big deal. So they weren't crushed to death by the house. Does he fall down dead? I thought he died. Um, and in her final, violent and now final death agonies, bore him to the floor a corpse. And a yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So they died in each other's arms. Uh, the house of Usher dies. That's the end of the house. That's the end of the house. And our narrator's like, well, I guess I'll just go home then. <laughs> yep. Guess I'll get the F out of here. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to get on my horse, which I hope is okay. And I'll just trot, trot on back to the nearest inn. Uh, I would love a sequel to this. That was just about, like, the guy having to, like, testify and trial. Like, okay, so. Here's what happened. Uh, she screamed. The house fell down. I mean, it would be pretty. it would be a pretty easy thing to say. I went to visit my friend. 
His sister died. My friend buried her in the basement. I was trying to help him through the grief, found out he actually buried her alive, and then I left the house, and I don't know what happened after that. Uh, oh, yeah, because the house honestly got also got struck by lightning. Yeah. that So lightning struck the crack, which then split it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing, like, visual. I was told the story of, of this. I was told the story of the fall of the House of Usher when I was in, like, junior high or elementary school. Uh, yeah. I had a teacher who really loved Poe, and so we, like, read part of the raven and stuff Mm -hmm. but we didn't read the story but she explained what happened and as a kid and then when i read the story as as like a teenager i was like i don't get it i was like Mm -hmm. i don't get why this is supposed to be like is it scary just because the house fell down is that what's scary is it scary because she got buried alive like that's not really scary that's like unfortunate (laughs) now i read it and i get the language and i get how Mm -hmm. weird and oppressive it is and so i don't think it's a scary story but it is like horrific like the whole thing is just like this just intense feeling of just like oncoming dread. It's from gothic. The first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gothic story. It's yeah. not overtly terrifying, but it scares you. It makes you feel bad. Yeah. Like it feels like just it feels like Edgar Allan Poe was just like, I just want you to read this and just kinda just kinda feel bad. <laughs> just like him. Yeah. Um, when did his wife die? Uh, Virginia Clem died at the age of 24. So she died in 1947. Mm-hmm. So a good, nearly a decade after he wrote this story. Yeah. So he was, so it is clear. So he wasn't even married at this point. It is clear that. No, he obtained the license to marry in 1935. Oh, okay. Wait. Because remember, she was she was 13. 13. But if she died when she was 24, a decade after writing this story, I'm mathing wrong. Uh, no, because he didn't write the story right. until yeah, okay, 39. Okay. Yeah, right. They okay. were married 11 years. Um, he was already obsessed with like beautiful dying women. Like he had a few problems. He had a few problems, uh, but he loved he loved dying women. <laughs> he had a few problems. <laughs> he did. Uh, have I mentioned that he married a thirteen year old? So, uh, yeah. I take it that was significantly less common at the time. He had to get permission. I mean, at least yeah. he had at least he had to get permission. It's true. <laughs> like, uh, known all men know all men by these presents that we Edgar A. Poe and Thomas. Well, 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 Welland, uh, are held, uh, are held and firmly bound unto something governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia in the just and full sum of $150 to the payment whereof well and truly to be made to the said governor or his successors for the use of the said Commonwealth. We bind ourselves and each of us, our and each of our heirs, executors and administrators jointly and severely, severally, firmly by these presents sealed with our seals and dated the 16th day of May, 1836. Uh, whereas a marriage is shortly intended to be had and solemnized between the above bound Edgar A. Poe and Virginia E. Clem of the city of Richmond. Uh, and it is signed by the parents. Uh, so, yeah. So it looks like they married in 1836. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she and then she died. She was found semi-conscious in great distress and in need of immediate assistance. Uh 
Uh, Wasn't Poe found the same way? Um. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. That's the way Poe was found. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hang on. <laughs> I'm looking at his... Uh, she was... Yeah, she was sick for a long time. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's we talked about this in the episode. Um, only one picture of her exists, uh, and it was a, a painting taken... A painting made after her death. Mm. Uh, only one painting. So I don't know why we keep talking about Virginia Clem. Because uh, <laughs> she's an important woman. She is an important woman. And she deserves to be remembered uh, for more than just being a 13-year-old bride of Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. So this story, The Fall of the House of Usher, has been adapted a bazillion times. A bazillion, you say? A bazillion times. It's been adapted so many times that it has its own like section. Like... In Wikipedia, it's just adaptation. So it was first adapted in 1928, twice, uh, once in France and once in America. And the weird thing is the American adaptation uh, was uh, done by, uh, as, as an avant-garde experimental film. So if you get to see any of it, it's like weird and doesn't make any sense if you don't know the story. Um but yeah, uh, directed by James Sibley Watson, uh, who was just this like experimental filmmaker and did mm-hmm. this weird adaptation of it. So two in 1928, the big one, the famous one uh, was 1960. There had been one in 1950, a British film. But in 1960, Roger Corman uh, directed the fall, directed House of Usher, mm-hmm. which uh, was written by our friend. Dickie Math, Dick the Math Man. Nice. Uh, Richard Matheson wrote the screenplay, starred Vincent Price, Mark Damon, Myrna Fahey, uh, the the unfortunately very short-lived Myrna Fahey. And Vincent Price played Roderick Usher. And they alter the story quite a bit. I, I, I watched it the other day. Uh, the narrator is named Philip Winthrop. And he's coming to the house because he's engaged to Madeline Usher. Uh, they met once like in Boston, and now he's coming to visit her. Uh, but they pro- but promise themselves to each other. It kind of follows the story because, but Roderick Usher's never met this guy. And he's like, you can't marry my sister. The family is cursed. We have to end the house of Usher now. We have to, the whole point is she can't leave the house. We can't reproduce because our line is cursed. But in there, their line is cursed because they were slave traders. Mm-hmm. A family of slave traders and thieves and, and murderers. And so he's like, everyone who's ever descended from our family will just become a horrible person to make the world a worse place. We're ending the line. The house itself is trying to kill them. Like chandeliers fall down, banisters fall. It's actually, a, it's a beautiful looking film. It's actually, it's a little, it, it pokes along in places, but it's actually a really well-made motion picture. Mm-hmm. Vincent Price is great. Uh, and it ends with, it ends just like the story. The house falls down and everyone except for the main guy die. And so there's no happy ending or anything. Uh, I, I recommend House of Usher. It's a fun movie. It was also adapted into The House of Usher in 89 with Oliver Reed and Donald Pleasance. And I watched a little bit of it on YouTube. Um, it mostly involves two brothers, Roderick Usher and Walter Usher. Uh, it doesn't. It didn't make a lot of sense that I could figure out. Uh, there's the fall of the louse of Usher, which is directed by Ken Russell and uh, in- includes an inflatable doll orgy. Um, doesn't seem to have much to do with the actual story. There's a movie called Descendant with 
I watched part of with Catherine <laughs> Heigl and Jeremy London. It is... Ladies and gentlemen, look up Descendant 2003 film trailer. It's so bad. It is like watching... If you were making a movie set in 2003 about Hollywood and you were like, make the worst possible parody trailer of a 2003 <laughs> movie based on an Edgar Allan Poe story, but have Edgar Allan Poe be a character in it, uh, this is the movie for you. Yeah, because it's about this guy named Ethan Poe uh, who becomes the main character in the it doesn't make any sense and it looks like it was shot on somebody's phone but like somebody's phone in 2003 there's a movie called usher mm -hmm. uh which i don't know anything about and then there is a movie called house of usher oh uh there's a movie called the bloodhound from 2020 that was filmed uh right before covid and it doesn't seem to have much to do with House of Usher, but it is based on uh, the mm -hmm. fall of the House of Usher. There's so many House of Usher adaptations. There's four operas based on it. Uh, and, of course, coming out this year, Walt Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher miniseries, his final project for Netflix. Is uh, he, he did what? He did Haunting of Hill House. That's what I he figured, did, yeah. Yeah, he did uh, yeah, All the Greats. Bruce so this Green will fit right in then. Bruce Greenwood as Roderick Usher, Mary McConnell, McDonald as Madeline Usher, and Carl Lumley as C. Auguste Dupin, Edgar Allan Poe's detective character. So they are tying in other Edgar Allan Poe stories into this. And of course, the usual gang of idiots uh, uh, we have Annabeth Gish, we have Henry Thomas, we have your usual Mike Flanagan, awesome, uh, collaborators. I'm looking forward to this a lot. Yeah. I mean, Hey, tying in, tying in, tying in the Poverse, I guess. <laughs> and I do love Bruce Greenwood as an actor. Uh, he played, I mean, a lot of people might, he's, he's been in a billion things. A lot of people might know him as Captain Pike in the, uh, Star Trek, uh, reboot movies. I really like Bruce Greenwood. He replaced Frank Langella when Frank Langella uh, was fired for uh, inappropriate behavior on set. So, yes. Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood. We love it. So, follow the House of Usher. Uh, thoughts? Thoughts on thoughts on this story? Final thoughts? Loved it. Ten yeah. out of ten. Wish I had read it for class when I was supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> ten out of ten. When were you supposed to have read it? Uh, I think high school. High school? It might have been my gothic literature class in college, but I can't remember. <laughs> uh, well, I think you came to it when you were ready. Uh, yeah. Because maybe you wouldn't have appreciated it then. No, I don't appreciate most of the reading I do for school. Uh, this was a, this, this, I was happy to revisit this and I'm like, I'm going to re-revisit this. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't the last time I'm going to read this short story. But, oh, I almost forgot to mention, almost forgot to mention that... There have been numerous books based on the fall of the House of Usher, like mm -hmm. like here's a story from so-and-so's perspective. But if you're looking for an, an incredible retelling of it, uh, last year's What Moves the Dead by, uh, by Ursula Vernon writing as T. Kingfisher. T. Kingfisher, uh, her T. Kingfisher novels are some of my absolute favorite recent horror books. She wrote The Twisted Ones. 
which is a retelling of uh, I think the white people, and she rewrote the Hollow Places, which is a uh, which is inspired by Algernon Blackwood's The Willows. What Moves the Dead is the House of Usher, told from uh, the perspective. Uh, like it's it's also told from the perspective of the narrator, but it's a rewrite. It's a reimagining. It's delightful. Uh, it does some amazing world building. It's weird. It's it's creepy and it's T Kingfisher, so it's funny. This is just me shilling for T Kingfisher because I think Ursula Vernon is an incredible an incredible writer. That's just my two cents. Read it. Read it. But but read Usher first because you'll appreciate it more when you get the illusions. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else to add? I think we are. Did we already? We talked about Guillermo del Toro. We did not. Well, we said that one of his books, one of his movies is loosely... Uh, yeah, we did. We haven't uh, spoken about Guillermo del Toro in any of our other episodes. Why should we bother bringing him up now? <laughs> uh, this is one of the easier stories to talk about him in because it's very obvious mm-hmm. how stories like this influenced him. Um, he has Crimson oh, Peak. Yeah. And this is, of course, fine for the Medusa in the Shield because... Uh, it's psychological. It's, <laughs> oh is it uh, yeah it's, it's I, all about being i mean gothic is all about being in somebody's mind palace basically the houses are all the the, the brains of the uh the characters around the narrator yeah uh and our our, our editor uh, david hartwell mentions that prior to this story uh gothic horror usually was set in actual castles mm-hmm. and that house of usher is a, is a house which was a, a little bit of a like a, a turning point in gothic horror. Yeah. Uh, brings it a little closer to home, I guess. I do like the castles, though. I gotta admit. I like the castles. I like the imagery of the one lit window in the castle as the, the main character approaches. Yeah. I like it, okay? He quotes uh, Poe scholar Benjamin Franklin Fisher IV saying, In Poe's work, a thing is never merely a thing. It is a language. And he says, Poe's horror stories invent the language of horror, give meaning to the idea of the fantastic as a language. And we talked about that, just like this incredible language. It got me thinking. I was like, it's so ridiculous. People are talking about the movie Skinnamarink right now because it just hit in theaters. I watched Skinnamarink. I watched it at home. An amazing horror movie. I've never seen anything like it. It left Mm -hmm. me shocked and devastated. And it is long and... If you're not in the right mood for it, probably the most boring thing you'll ever have to sit through because nothing, almost nothing happens in it. You never see characters' faces. There's maybe five minutes of dialogue and most of the movie is static shots of walls and corners of houses lit entirely by a flickering television set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a weird movie. But it got me thinking and this got me thinking. I was like, we've read so many stories. We've watched so many movies, so many horror movies. Just what a useless categorization horror is oh my yeah (laughs) like i don't even know what it means to be scared like what does it even mean that if a story or a movie is scary does it mean that it makes you physically afraid does it make you uneasy does it mean it makes you afraid of the story for the story later on after this like what does it even mean some of the movies i consider horror don't make me scared they just make me angry yeah some things are horror because simply they're about something horrific Mm -hmm. like what sometimes things are horror just because they have like a vampire in them. <laughs> like the Lost Boys is considered a horror movie, but it's not scary. Yeah. And it's about super cool vampires who ride around on motorcycles. Like what even is I, I'm just I, I was thinking about it was my shower thought yesterday. I'm just like, mm-hmm. what even is horror? Because people are arguing about Skinner because people are like, this isn't even scary. This is boring. 
And so people are like, here comes that stupid conversation about, is it horror again? And I'm like, I don't think the question at this point is, is it horror? I think the question at this point is, what even is horror? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those, like, we created a classification for a genre that didn't have a standard set of rules, and now here we are, flooded yeah. with things that don't have standard sets of rules. <laughs> like, Western is easy. A Western mm-hmm. is set in the Old West. Yep. Like, that's it. You have to do that. Science fiction is a little more nebulous, but at least it, like, you have to, like, th- there has... But horror, horror is about a feeling. Yeah. Not about a genre convention. Like, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, they're, they're, it's easier. That's why there's so many sub-genres, because it's easier yeah. to classify things into sub-genres. But, like, is gothic all horror? Or is gothic something else sometimes? And is all gothic, yeah, is all gothic horror? Yeah, yeah. Could you have, I guess you can have, like, a gothic comedy. You could have a gothic romance. There's plenty of gothic romance. Definitely a gothic romance. <laughs> Can you have gothic science? But yeah, our gothic, gothic romance is still horror because they still have some horror elements. Could you have gothic cyberpunk? I feel like gothic cyberpunk would fall under horror, though, sometimes. Because cyberpunk I mean, is one of those, like... <laughs> gothic cyberpunk. Isn't, go- isn't cyberpunk loosely gothic anyways? Oh, it's called, it's called cybergoth. Never mind. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's a that's a that's a subculture, not a not a literary. <laughs> Cyber sci, gothic cyberpunk fiction. Genre. <laughs> gothic cyberpunk science fiction in the work. Uh, well, now it's just a bunch of people. Cyberpunk is a genre of science fiction. So, I mean, you can probably mash anything together if you try hard enough. I guess the point we're making is there's no such thing as genres. Genres aren't real. They're just, genres aren't real. They're just, they're, a, just, they're, just a, they're just a category we use to make things work for our human brains. Right. They're as useless as almost every taxonomy. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Yep. See you guys later. What is the next story in? We're going back to Stephen King. Stankin' King? What are we doing? We're going to read The Monkey. The monkeys, here they come, walking down the street. They get the funniest looks of everyone they meet. Hey, hey, they're the monkeys. I love them. Peter Tork, Mike Nesmith, Davy Jones. Is this uh, a reference to a band again? Mickey Dolans. I think Mickey Dolans is the only surviving the monkeys. Uh, the monkeys. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say we monkey around. You're just looking at me like I'm an insane person. <laughs> yeah. The monkeys were a band that was put together in the 1960s for the purpose of television to for a sitcom called The Monkees about a band called The Monkees. They all played themselves. It was wacky comedy, very funny. They became popular in their own right. They had many hit songs. Take the last train to Clarksville. Uh, my auntie Griselda. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. A lot of hits. Uh, they reunited in the 80s. They have slowly died off over the years. The Monkees. We're not talking about the monkeys. No, we're talking about what? Stephen King's The Monkey. <laughs> Stephen King's The Monkey. One of my, when I was a kid, favorite Stephen King stories. I've read it since then. It still romps and stomps. This is a great we're gonna, story. We're going to see if it if it uh, is better to me than the, the, the Eye of the Dragon then. <laughs> Which is still my favorite Stephen King story. Oh, I see. <laughs> I was like, we didn't read the Eye of the Dragon. <laughs> It romps and stomps, the monkey, and we'll also have to talk about the weird illegal 
really question mark made film adaptation that doesn't credit Stephen King. Cool. Uh, but was featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> we should watch the Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, episode of, of that before It we might record. be the only way you can see it. So, And it's only part of the episode, so... It's a short film. Uh, we will definitely be doing that. All right. <laughs> so until next time when we cover Stephen King's The Monkey from the sh his short collection Skeleton Crew. I'm doing this for a reason. Skeleton yeah. Crew. I love Skeleton uh, Crew. I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's, it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time.